The talk today is called What Do Disciples Do in a Crisis? And just before I start, there is a kids fun sheet available for this talk, which links with some of the themes in the Bible passages that we're talking about. So if you haven't already downloaded that and printed it off, maybe you want to do that. And there are some quizzes and word searches and colouring available if you've got little ones um, and plenty to talk about once this talk is done. You don't need me to tell you that in the last two weeks, our world has changed dramatically due to this coronavirus pandemic. We are in a situation that none of us have been in before. And many countries are on lockdown and travel has virtually stopped and health services are stretched and things are changing daily. I've rewritten this part of my talk three times this week already. On Monday morning, we were just discussing postponing some of our activities. And by this weekend, schools, pubs, restaurants, cafes, clubs, cinemas and churches have all been forced to close. We are in extraordinary times and many of us are feeling the pressure. It looks like this pandemic will take the lives of many people. It's very serious, and particularly the elderly and those with underlying health conditions are in danger. And also there will be many people whose livelihoods will be severely affected. The economic implications of what's been going on have been steadily dawning on everyone this week, such that the government have taken the extraordinary step of promising to help pay people's wages rather than see them lose their jobs. It's a welcome relief for many, but there's still a high degree of uncertainty. And whether or not we personally will experience the virus symptoms, we will probably know many people who do get ill and we will witness some distressing news as this spreads. What is happening is unprecedented and we are being asked to make a massive sacrifice. It's uncertain, it affects how we live and work, it changes how we connect as a community. It's disruptive and frustrating and for many people it's frightening. You know, for myself, honestly, I've been through a whole range of emotions this week. My first reaction was just, oh, it can't really be happening here. It can't be as bad as they're reporting it in other countries. But once I accepted that, yes, it was really happening, I then found myself literally checking my news app every 10 minutes for an update with this impending sense of doom. My heart just seemed to get heavier and heavier as I processed every new bit of information. Like many of you, I was worried about how this would impact me and my family personally. How are we going to cope at home? What if one of us gets ill? Will we still have jobs at the end of this? And why is there no food in the shops? It's just some of the things I was thinking about. And then I started to think about the wider impact. How will this affect our church? How will we connect as a community? What's going to happen to the economy? How will we all deal with the many losses associated with this? The trips, the holidays, the school shows, all have been cancelled. The end of term activities, routine medical operations, delayed. A friend of ours funeral service couldn't go ahead this week. There's disappointment and there's loss. And another question is, how will this affect our young people? There are those of us who've been working towards GCSEs and A-levels and uni exams. And I just want to say particularly, if that's you, how much we're feeling for you right now. It's a weird thing to say that we feel sad because you can't do your exams, but it is a massive blow when you've been working for so hard for so long towards uh, this summer's exam period and it's really disappointing that all of a sudden school's finished a few months ahead of the expected time with no opportunity to particularly celebrate or finish well with friends it's honestly disappointing and that doesn't even start to touch on how this might be for those who are most vulnerable and most in need in our community you know things were already tough for many people but this could push us beyond into breaking point so at times this week, I have felt overwhelmed and anxious and emotional, and I'm probably not the only one. I imagine that many of you have too. And really, it leaves me with only one option of where to go with that, 
and that's to go to God. I have to go to God. And so I found myself asking this question, what do Jesus followers do when things get tough? Or to rephrase it, as I've uh, titled this talk, what do disciples do in a crisis? And the answer to that question is that in a crisis, disciples do the same as they always do. Well, what's that, I hear you ask? Well, if you've been part of our church for any time at all, you won't be surprised to hear what I'm gonna say next. What do disciples do in a crisis? They do three things. Disciples try and be with Jesus, they try and become like Jesus, and they aim to do the things that Jesus does. And so what does it look like to be Jesus' apprentices right here, right now, as members of Winchester Vineyard Community in the middle of this crisis? And I just wanna briefly unpack these three thoughts with some encouragements and some, just some suggestions as to how we can all press into this. So number one, disciples in a crisis spend time just being with Jesus. And as I quickly realised this week, the first and most important thing that we can do is to pray, is to turn to God and to reiterate to him what we, what we already know to be true, that he is with us. That despite my own fears and anxieties and those of many people around me, that I can trust him and look to him for love and comfort and hope and peace. You see, God has proved so many times in my life that he will not let me go. He will let me fall. He's got my back. He's watching over me. And not just me, all of us. You know, as we look back on our lives, there are so many stories of God's provision, of his supernatural intervention and of his care. You know, I was just thinking back to last autumn in September, we had our incredible heart offering in the church. We were in a really tricky situation financially uh, and God generously and miraculously through his people provided for our needs as a church. If you remember, we gave to mission, we replaced our leaking roof. You know, even just over the last two or three weeks, we've been replastering, repainting the bits of ceiling that were so uh, water damaged from all the leaks. Um, they'll be ready for us to enjoy when we can get back into the building. Um, and so God has proved himself faithful and generous so many times before. And always it's worth stopping to reflect on that maybe reading our journals. You know, when we come to him, he is there for us. And so however you best connect with God personally, my encouragement for all of us is to simply make sure that we're doing that in this season regularly, intentionally setting aside time to be with him. Whether it's putting on worship music or just sitting in silence, whether it's meditating on a Bible verse or writing in your journal or going for a walk, probably on your own. The simplest and most profound thing that all of us can do is just take time out to be in God's presence. And if you don't know what to say or what to do, maybe just use a set prayer like the Lord's Prayer that we've been uh, looking at in life groups or something like the Daily Examine. At the end of this talk, I'm going to point you to a couple of resources that might be helpful. And also don't forget the prayer course, which we've been studying in our life groups. Um, their website has a whole section called the Tool Shed that's just got loads of great prayer tools or different ways to connect with God. This is a great time to take encouragement from the Bible. You know, in China over the last two or three months, uh, the YouVersion Bible app has reported a massive surge in people reading, their, reading the Bible on their phones whilst they're in quarantine. Many, many people discovering for the first time or rediscovering God's word and with having the time to read it and let it really seep in are being transformed and meeting with God. I was thinking about uh, a verse in the Bible when I was planning this talk and I remembered this line from Psalm 121. It's verse three and it says, he will not let your foot slip, he will not let you stumble. And actually the whole Psalm is relevant and it's a great place to start. Um, Psalm 121, it's called a song of a sense and I'm gonna read it now and the words will come up on your screen. And why don't you read along with me if you'd like to. 
I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. These words are true whatever is happening in the world. They were true last month. They were true last year. They were true last week and they're true now. And they'll still be true while the nation goes through this crisis and they'll still be true afterwards and for the rest of our lives. You see, as God's people, we are subject to his love and his care and he is watching over us. He is with us. And we can simply turn to him with no big fuss, no big drama, just put aside the other stuff that's going on and come to be with our dad. This crisis is not a surprise to him. He is with us and he loves us and his arms are big and strong and he can be a place of refuge and shelter and he wants to be close to us and he wants to be with us and he's ready and waiting to talk. So what should we be doing as disciples in a crisis? We should be being with Jesus and secondly, becoming like Jesus. This week, I found myself asking this question. Will we actually get through this crisis? Can we do this? At times, it has seemed quite stressful and overwhelming. But I think there's a better question to ask. Not will we get through it, but how will we get through it? Because I've no doubt that we will get through. But how will we spend this time? Let's imagine that we're through the other end and we're looking back on these months and we imagine that we're asking ourselves a question. How did we invest in that time? Was it fruitful? Was it wise? Did we choose to embrace what God was doing? And did we choose to grow in character? Or did we waste weeks and weeks just hiding away and watching Netflix? You see, I believe that not only can we get through this, but by making good choices, we can thrive and grow in the middle of it. One of the key ways in which we can become more like Jesus in this season is to stand out against the prevailing culture in this whole area of worry. For many people, life was stressful enough before the virus became an issue. They already had plenty to worry about and now this situation is causing even more fear and anxiety. But Jesus has some strong words on worry. From Luke chapter 12, verses 22 and 23, Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat or about your body or what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. See, Jesus was addressing an audience mostly made up of farmers and fishermen who lived in this context where their whole livelihood could be affected simply by what happened to the weather the following month. Life was not easy, but Jesus is there plainly telling them, don't worry. He says, your father in heaven knows what you need. He loves you and he cares for you. Don't be afraid. And for many of us, that's a challenge because we don't actually stop and think about where the source of our worries really is. We think that our worry comes from things that are external to us, circumstances that are out there pressing in. We worry about material provision, what will work, how, where we'll work and what we'll do and where we'll live and what we'll eat and what we'll wear and whether we'll have enough money to do the things we need. And right now, if we ask those around us, why are you worried about they're likely to say things like, I'm worried that my savings for retirement have just lost value, or I'm anxious about my, my job long term, or I work freelance or zero hours and all of, almost all my work is being cancelled, or I have someone close to me 
with a vulnerable health condition and they can't afford to contract this virus. And for many of us, it feels like the source of our worries is external and that all these problems are outside of us and they're coming towards us and threatening to pile up and crush us. But the truth is that the source of our worry is not external, but internal. It's not because all this stuff is happening around us. It's not because of the news that we're getting all week long. The reason that we worry is because we haven't set our hearts on the right thing. Jesus also faced all kinds of external trouble coming at him. The demands of everyone wanting his attention, betrayal of his closest friends, persecution, crucifixion, ultimately death. But Jesus chose to react from who he knew he was inside. He set his heart on embracing his identity as a beloved child of God and we can do the same. And so later in that chapter, um, it says, uh, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. But instead seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, Jesus says, for the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The problem with worry is not coming from the coronavirus. It's not coming from the stock market or the politicians or the medics or anyone outside of us or anything outside of us. The worry is coming from inside of us. And it's when we either don't know or forget who we really are. When we lose sight of our identity as God's precious children. We don't need to do that. And in this, we can choose to become more like Jesus. You see, he doesn't advise us, oh, try not to worry. He doesn't say, oh, just worry a little bit less with you. He says, don't worry. It's not advice. It's a command. What he's saying is actually really hopeful. The reality is you and I can't control much that's happening outside of us. We've got no real influence over the stock market or the politicians. But we absolutely do have influence over our hearts. We are each uniquely placed to know and shape what's going on inside. And so Jesus is giving us a really hopeful word. He says, you don't have to react the way everyone else does. We can choose what our approach is to worry. We can press into our identity as beloved children of God. And from that place, we can choose to trust him. Now, I'm not saying that everything will just be fine. If we've got depression, for example, I'm not saying that we can just choose not to be depressed. It doesn't work like that. I'm not saying that tough things won't happen. They really might. But I am suggesting that we all have a choice to position our hearts in such a way so that we are less occupied and consumed with worry in the face of our external circumstances. It's a choice we make and one which every time we consciously choose it will help us to become more like Jesus. And Jesus will help us in it. Everyone around us is worried. People are stressed and anxious. It's understandable. For me, I want to be a non-anxious presence in the face of anxiety. That's how I can become more like Jesus in this season. And so in crises like these, disciples of Jesus spend time being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus. And thirdly, doing the things that Jesus does. At the end of the Gospels, we read that Jesus commissions his disciples to go and do all the things that he spent the previous three years teaching them what to do. He promises that the Holy Spirit will come and empower them which he does at Pentecost, and that what he has started in this small Middle East country, his followers will be taking and sharing locally, regionally, nationally, ultimately globally, to see God's kingdom impact and change the world. Acts 1 verse 8, he promises you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And after Pentecost, the church grew rapidly in Jerusalem. And in Acts 2, we read about this beautiful countercultural community of believers. There's these descriptive passages about how they developed um, and what community life was like and how they saw many, many people added to their number daily as they lived out their radical faith within the society of the Jerusalem of Jerusalem. Uh, we spent quite a bit of time looking at this passage uh, back in January in our church, uh, reading through Acts 2 and what community life looked like. And uh, this one verse from that in Acts 2.46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. But only a few chapters later, we read that everything changed for the early church and that they were scattered, that many believers found themselves spread right across the country and beyond. Acts 8, 1 says on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. But encouragingly, it doesn't say that they acted fearfully and hid away. It says the new disciples did the absolute opposite. In verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And the rest of the book of Acts describes this radical growth of the church across regions and countries and continents as disciples of Jesus lived out and shared their faith in somewhat scary times. The church grew when it was scattered. And although we are not under persecution for our faith, we have indeed been scattered for this season of our lives and we can grow too. See, one of our key values at Winchester Vineyard Church is that we're called to be scattered servants. We are uh, being the hope and life of Jesus to individuals and communities. That's what we've always tried to do. And here, now, we have the most amazing opportunity to live this out right in our own communities. I love this cartoon that I saw posted on Facebook today. The church has never been about the building we meet in. The church is all of us, where we are, in our communities. And you know, health crises are nothing new for the church. In AD 165, there was a devastating epidemic that wiped out over a quarter of the Roman Empire's citizens, including the emperor, in, including the emperor himself. In 251, just nearly 100 years later, there was another plague with a very similar impact. All of the pagan religions of Rome collapsed in these plagues, but Christianity continued to flourish. And historians have suggested three factors as to why that might be the case. Maybe it's because Christianity offers a better and more hopeful worldview during times of crisis than any of the other alternatives that were available to people then or are now. Maybe it's because Christianity gives us a tremendous insight about the meaning of suffering and how we can handle pain and how we allow it to grow us and shape us. But I think a major factor was that in those times of crisis, as the historians record, the church did what many others would not do they loved their neighbours. One Roman emperor wrote this, those impious Galileans, which is what he referred to, how he referred to the Christians, they're popular, he said, because they don't only take care of their own poor, they take care of ours as well. So while everyone else ran away from the plague and left their sick relatives and sick neighbours to fend for themselves, the Christians cared for the sick and not just their own but reached out to their pagan neighbours, practically demonstrating God's love for everyone, sometimes at great risk and cost to themselves. It's a powerful response. And so a question that we need to be asking ourselves is how do we want to be remembered after this outbreak? Do we want to be the people who join the others in stockpiling toilet paper and looking out for themselves? Or do we want to be the people who loved their neighbours and shared what they had and comforted people in their pain and distress and exuded hope 
in the midst of other people's fear. The early church demonstrated the absolute opposite spirit of the culture around them. They sacrificed their own needs for the sake of others, just like Jesus. What a legacy. Remember, we are apprentices of Jesus. We're his disciples. We receive his love and then we go and do the things he did by sharing it with those around us. I love this quote from uh, Rishi Sunak, who's the Chancellor of the Exchequer, just this weekend. Now, more than at any time in our history, we will be judged by our capacity for compassion. When this is over, and it will be over, we want to look back on this moment and remember the many small acts of kindness done to us and by us. See, I love that this crisis is bringing out the best in our society. I love that people are demonstrating kindness and compassion. As the Church of Jesus, we've always been at the forefront of this kind of ministry, and it's very important that we stay there. And it's wonderful to see the wider community coming together as well. And so we need to be asking ourselves, what is it that we can bring that's unique and distinctive? Is there anything that only we can do? See, not only do we have God's perspective on this situation, but we carry his presence. Our non-anxious interactions come from having his presence inside of us. We can speak and minister supernatural love and peace and hope to all around us. This is our moment to stand out from the crowd and bring the presence of God to bear. People need it and they will be receptive. I saw this picture, it's a picture of flamingos and it's a genuine photograph taken by an aerial photographer who just happened to catch this. It's not a fake or anything. Um, basically, it's a whole bunch of flamingos who seem to be formed up in the shape of a giant flamingo. It's quite intriguing. And interestingly, I think this is a really great metaphor for the church. You see, the church is designed to look like Jesus. And it's made up of many individual disciples who also look like Jesus. And so whether we're gathered together in one place or whether we're scattered around our many postcodes and communities, we bring the shape the identity and the presence of Jesus wherever we are. So I want to encourage you, go for it, church. This is our moment. We're in difficult times for our country, but we were born for this and we've been trained for it. And God is at work in our midst and we get to be his hands and feet. And if you don't know where to start, simply, I suggest you just ask the Holy Spirit to show you. And so I've kind of written a prayer uh, for this and I'm going to put the words up. And um, maybe if you feel able, you could join me in saying this prayer together as we seek to respond. Father God, thank you that I am safe in your arms. Jesus, please be with me and help me not to worry or be afraid. Holy Spirit, show me where you are already working and how I can join in to make a difference. Show me how I can share your love and hope and be a non-anxious presence for those around me. Amen. By way of follow-up from this talk, um, there are some links that are also on your page. One thing, one main piece of advice really by following up is to say, do connect with your life group, as Joe mentioned earlier. But some other things that you could do just to specifically follow up what I've been talking about. One is just to worship, and there's a link to um, uh, a song called I Lift My Eyes Up, which is the words of Psalm 121. You may know it already, and you could join in with that. Another is to pray. And there's a link to a video called uh, The Daily Examine. And this is where a lovely man called Dan Wilt takes us through how to pray this prayer, The Daily Examine, and leave space in it to do it. So it's sort of like a guided video. It's about eight minutes long. We've already talked about viral kindness and how you might want to print off some postcards 
and pop them through your neighbour's door or even pick some up from the church office if you can get there. Um, and lastly, there's also a link to a talk from the National Leaders Conference uh, that we were at in January called Becoming a Non-Anxious Presence by John Mark Comer. And if you've got time, I thoroughly recommend that. It's a great talk. And lastly, I just want to encourage you again to join in with the National Day of Prayer that's happening today, Sunday the 22nd of March. Um, light a candle, put it in your window this evening. And if you follow the link, there are some uh, resources and things and uh, points to pray for there. Thanks a lot.